welcome to the City View Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I could easily see somebody have a morning like this, where they wake up and they turn to their spouse and they say, I had that dream again. She says, what dream? That dream where I see his face. Whose face? Jesus. Do you remember that day where we were standing in the courtyard and, and there had that pilot had that man and everybody started yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And his wife would turn and say, yeah. Why did we ever jump into that? Why did I yell those words? I still feel Every morning I remember that, and every day I remember that, and I don't know if I'm going to shake it. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to forget. Why do we get caught up in that crowd? Why did we have an innocent man killed? Maybe going to the temple today will help me to make me feel better. Maybe something, something like that can solve what my heart is telling me I did so wrong. Lord, as we get into your word this morning, God, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and prepare us for what you have for us. And Lord, I ask God that we would hear from you in a special way, like a way we've never heard. God, I ask that you would speak to your people at churches all over the valley, wherever they are. God, I pray for Brian over at Valley Life. Lord, I pray for Mark at Calvary and Ashley over at CCV and Jackie over at Cross Church. And God, I ask that you'd speak to us at City View this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Acts chapter 2 this morning. If you have your Bible, um, turn to Acts 2. If you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can find City View Church. Um, if you go to the events page, it's right there. All the verses are going to be right there. They're also going to be right behind my head this morning. Um, but we're going to be, we're doing a study called uh, There Is More. We're looking at the book of Acts and how after Jesus died, so many thought it was over but you see, there was so much more that had to be done. And after Jesus rose, they thought, is the kingdom here now? Or are, are you going to get rid of every, everything, Jesus? Are you going to fix it all? Is it done? And no, Jesus is like, there's so much more to be done. But now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to do. Now it's your turn to live. Now it's your turn to be the example. Now it's your turn to step out in faith and to live this life that God has called us to live. Now we're here in Acts chapter 2. And we see the followers of Jesus, and they, they, they have come here to this, this place, to this room. And this crowd, there's this crowd that we're going to meet. This crowd that is going to be there when, in just a minute, this crowd that many of them that are in this crowd on their way for the celebration called Pentecost, many of this crowd is the same crowd that we're at in the courtyard when they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. It's the same crowds. And so we're going to meet this crowd and we're going to see this situation in just a minute. And last week, 
We left the disciples. The disciples were waiting. Jesus had just went up to heaven. And Jesus told his disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like waiting. I don't. Even yesterday, so we, my son Joel, if you see Joel today, it's his 11th birthday. Say happy birthday to him. Um, he'd like that. Um, but so we got him, we, we got him a gift. Uh, and my wife and I, we got him, so at school, kids, you know, they use laptops and all that kind of stuff. So we got him, got him a computer. Um, <clears throat> but we wanted to get a computer back. And I looked on Amazon, because, even though I was out of Staples. Um, <laughs> Go figure. I didn't like their selection. But I still wanted it now. Because who likes to wait? I don't like waiting. Um, even though I still ordered it. Um, but Jesus told his disciples, wait. It's easy to wait when we know about how long it's going to be. But it's not so easy when we don't know how long we're waiting for. So Jesus told them to wait. Now, what they did know is they're only going to have to wait 10 days. 10 days isn't too bad. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, so Acts chapter 1, um, it was from the day Jesus died and rose again to, the, to Acts chapter 1. That's 40 days, okay? From the day Jesus went to heaven to Acts chapter 2, this moment, it's 10 days. So we're 50 days out of Jesus now, okay? So it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like the violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, dis- uh, distrib- distributing themselves, and they were resting on, each on one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. So Pentecost was, was a day of celebration. It was a day of celebrating the first fruits and what God had done for them. It, it was one of the biggest celebrations that the people of Israel did. It was actually one of the biggest and most attended. The reason is sort of the same reason why people start going outside in October and November and why people start going outside in late February and March because the weather is amazing in Israel. So that's why this is, it's believed that this is one of the biggest celebrated, biggest attended celebrations is because the weather is so nice and everybody wants to get outside and party. Because who doesn't like to do that when the weather's nice outside, right? We like to go outside to parks and all that. So that's sort of what's going on. So you get this huge crowd. And they were celebrating the harvest and what God had done. And while they are on their way to the temple, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, 11 people, 12 because they just added a new guy at the end of Acts 1. And then a whole other group of people. So you've got this upper room of about 120 people. So it's, if you can picture a room full of this many people. Look around. This many people. All praying. Asking God for wisdom on what to do next. Sort of what we're doing too as a church, isn't it? So you've got 120 people upstairs in this room praying, saying, God, what? What do you want? God says, just wait because there's more. 
So I think there's a message for us here. If, if God told his people, just wait, there is more, and then more is about to come, more actually comes in this passage, in what we're looking at right now, more. It says the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and uh, upon them. And so it seems like it says that there was this, this rushing wind, but it wasn't a rushing wind. It says it was like a rushing wind because none of them knew how to explain it. As, as Luke is talking to the disciples, talking to Peter and, and, and these guys, he goes, okay, so, so tell me what happened on the day of Pentecost and and Peter goes man it was there was this rushing wind but but it wasn't a wind it was like this loud rushing wind I, I don't know how to explain it but that's what it was like so Luke writes as we read there in in Acts you, you see that it says um, noise like a rushing wind so it wasn't a rushing wind but that's the best way he could describe it and then he says, and then there appeared to them tongues of fire, but, but, but it wasn't tongues of fire. It says appeared, meaning it's the best thing he can understand. It's the best way he can sort of explain it. Have you ever been, tried to explain something? You just can't fully explain it to somebody. Have you ever been in that situation? So you're trying to use terms that help their mind understand. Maybe it's a kid or maybe it's somebody that just doesn't understand in our culture. You try to explain American culture to somebody else and what's going on. I remember when I was in high school and we were visiting this jungle tribe in Panama trying to explain technology that we had 22 years ago. My gosh, that was it's a long time ago. Can you try to exp- imagine trying to explain a TV? Imagine even nowadays trying to explain a smartphone. And so they're trying to explain this, this experience that happened, and Luke is writing it to the best of his ability. He said, so it's it like this rushing wind, and then these tongues of, as by fire were above their heads, so there's some kind of spiritual thing happening in this room, in this moment. And then as this was happening, all of a sudden it, it overcame them. They were able to speak different languages, which is this amazing moment. I remember hearing the story from my dad that my, I have an uncle who was taken prisoner in, in, um, in Russia during all that time of communism and, and all that. And he, was, he got put in prison because he was preaching the gospel. And he was put in prison and then they released him in um, Saudi, not Saudi Arabia, really, the really cold, starts with an S, Siberia. Thank you. He didn't know the language, but guess what? He was given this gift of tongues, the ability to speak the language and then preach the gospel. That's sort of this idea. Every time I go to another country, every single time, and I'm getting ready to preach or do anything, I always say, God, please let me. And I get up there and I start talking, and they still have to have the translator. And I'm like, dang it, God, come on. Do I need to pray in a different language to get this? How does it work? But that's what happens. So that's the situation. So you have this room like this filled with 120 people like this. There's this sound like this rushing wind. There's this moment of fire. And so there's all this happening. This says in verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together, and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. In the following verses, which we're not going to get to, but all these different countries and all these different languages are talked about. And so it says that this crowd, all of a sudden they hear this, this crowd, and, and at the end of the chapter we find out that there's over 300 people in this crowd. Or 3,000, not 300. Over 3,000 people in this crowd that come to this place because they hear it. 
Can you imagine that? You see, in our city, like, if, if you live in, pff, over by GCU, and I'd say there was this huge, loud, rushing wind over at my house on 67th and Bell, you didn't hear it. But Jerusalem wasn't that big. Jerusalem was about as big as this entire shopping center. So if you can picture a city as big as this shopping center, after service, drive it. Drive this whole shopping center. That's about as big as Jerusalem was at that time. So if there's a big rushing wind at one town, you'll hear it at the other. It was that, it was that small, and the walls were high enough to where it allowed the sound to be loud enough. So if you can picture over 3,000 people, we, we know it's over three, 3,000 people made decisions to follow Jesus on that day. 3,000. So we know the crowd had more than that. So they come rushing. They come rushing to this place. And they immediately think these guys are drunk. It says in verse 11, Cretans and Arabs were hearing them in their own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. They weren't rambling. The disciples weren't just like talking. These 120 people weren't just like, like people are like, oh my gosh, they're crazy. Every one of them heard each person, whether, whatever language it was they were speaking. They were speaking of mighty deeds of God. We don't know what each one, because I'm sure each person of the 120 that were in that room all were saying something different. But what Peter remembered, he goes, we're all talking about how great God was and is. And then it says that Peter, then he opened the word to them and he started to preach to this crowd of people in Acts. In verses 14 through 21, Peter then, he, he speaks to them. And I don't think the verses are going to be up here. I don't remember. But he quotes, it says, he says to them in verses 14, he says, but Peter, taking his stand with the 11, raised his voice. And I'm sure he's maybe up on this patio or up on some kind of raised platform where everybody could hear him. And he's proclaiming to this crowd of 3,000 plus people. And he declares to the men of Judea and all who are living here in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed. Take careful listen to my words. For these men, they're not drunk. They're not drunk. As you suppose, he says it's only nine in the morning. He says even those people who do get drunk, he goes, it's too early for even the most drunks. That's what he's saying of this, it's only nine in the morning. And there's a few things that the reason why he's saying it, one, he says even the, 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 those people who are just always drunk, he goes, there's a respect for today. There's a respect for today because it's Pentecost and because of the, he says it's only nine in the morning, so that's not what's going on. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes out of Joel chapter two, he takes them back to this crowd who understood, they would have understood this passage, they would have understood this story, but they would have known that it's pointing to the Messiah, pointing to this great day, but they didn't tie the things together. They didn't realize that it was talking about God. And he's speaking of this day, he says that a spirit will be poured upon them and they will, and he says, and even at verse 18, even on bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour my spirit upon them. And so they're seeing this moment <coughs> where they're seeing this, this moment where the spirit, something different is happening. And he's letting them know they're not drunk, it's the spirit. <coughs> You've seen the Spirit work. You've seen these moments where God does something different and out of the ordinary. That's what you're experiencing right now. He's helping them tie one thing to another thing. 
And then he says to them, as he continues, he then, in verses 22 through, through 28, he then quotes out of Psalm. Psalm 100, <clears throat> where is it? I thought I had it in my Bible. I don't. Of course I don't. It's like Psalm 16, I think, and then Psalm 110. <clears throat> and he takes them back to the Old Testament, to the, these places that they knew, to the places that they believed. Because in this crowd were many people who knew about God. In this crowd were many people who thought they knew about what God was going to do. But what they had done is they had killed Jesus. And so he tells them there in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 21, he says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. He's tying things right now to them. He's helping us as the reader understand that many in this crowd saw Jesus do these things that were amazing. That's what's happening. So as you, as you read, and I know some of you, maybe you're totally new to God's word, but what happens is, is there are places where the writer ties things to these people that are in the crowds and helping them understand what is happening. He says, this was happening in your midst. So he's saying, okay, this Jesus, you saw him do these things, and for some of them, they're like, yeah, but remember, some of them were in that crowd that yelled crucify him, and some of them were just like that man, that story I told at the beginning, where I'm sure he felt that feeling that so many of us have ever felt, that we think, can I get this over? Can I get rid of this? Can I somehow be forgiven? He says, this man, he was delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, and then here's how we know who is in this crowd. Here's how we know who's in this crowd. He says, and you nailed him to the cross. He's not saying this random statement like you, like any of you who have sinned or any of you who have done anything bad. He's tying it to a specific moment, to a specific crowd, to specific people. He does it twice in this section of scripture here where Peter, as he's preaching, he says you, so that this crowd understands I have done something I shouldn't have done. How many of you have ever been in that place where you feel like maybe somebody is preaching or somebody, maybe you're at a church setting or maybe you're somewhere and you feel like the, the, your professor is talking straight to you. He's talking about making wise choices with your life. And your professor, maybe she, she's talking about life and she's talking about how she had to make decisions when she was 21 years old and you're all of a sudden in that moment, you're in that classroom and your professor's not preaching God's word. They're just sharing with you a little bit about decisions they had to make at 21 and you think, that's me right now. You see, right now in this moment, Peter's talking to this crowd and many of them are going, that's me right now. He says, and you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men. And, but, and he says, <clears throat> by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God. You see, Jesus, his story didn't end there. Jesus' story didn't end dying. Many people's stories end at death. This is, but God raised him from the dead, raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. 
this crowd, I, I, can, I can sort of picture this crowd getting tense. Because anytime you mention Jesus, and, and if you look here, he doesn't just mention Jesus, but he defines which Jesus he's talking about. He says, Jesus the Nazarene. It'd be like saying, Jeremiah, well, what Jeremiah? Jeremiah Semler. Now, Jeremiah is not a super common name. So it'd be like saying, John, John who? John Scott. Knowing exactly which one, John Scott, John Scott who? John Scott DeRuder. If you didn't know, that was Scott's full name. There you go. Um, <clears throat> we all call him Scott, but that's, that's his spy name. Um, and so he says, this is the Jesus. Jesus the Nazarene. And this crowd, I'm sure at this moment, they're getting tense, they're getting uncomfortable. He reminds them of that day. He takes them back to that moment. And I wonder if that man that was in that crowd that had crucified Jesus is now in this crowd looking at this disciple, looking at Peter. And I wonder if he's sitting there going, honey, are you listening to this? She's like, yeah. He goes, that feeling is back. That knot in my stomach, like I know I did something wrong. Honey, can it be fixed? What can be done? What can solve that problem that's in my soul that I don't know what? That, that, that churning, that eating up inside me, what, what can solve that? And I'm sure in this moment he knew, I knew I did something I shouldn't have done. I knew that man was innocent. I knew that man didn't deserve to die. I knew that man was, was a, a good man. I knew it. And now he's the son of God. What have I done? What have I done? And then Peter tells them, but there's so much more. He says, guys, there's so much more. He's not dead. Your plan failed. And if it was me, I'd be like, and he's coming to get you now. And then I'd say, I'm just kidding. You know, you get their attention, and you just, I don't know, but Peter keeps it super serious the whole time, you know. He didn't have, like, the biggest sense of humor. Those other guys. And then Peter continues to quote, and he quotes out of Kings, or not Kings, he quotes from King David, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, verses um, 25 through 28. That's what I was looking for just later on in my Bible and my notes. And this is, brethren, verse 29, I am confident, I, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, he says, guys, David said this. And they all revered King David. David was the, the best king, the most royal king, the, the most holy king, the most revered king they ever had. And they all looked up to David, even after he was dead. He says, and then he quotes, he quotes again what David says, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus. And he says to them, he says, the prophet knew that God had, had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He says, guys, David said that one day one of his descendants would be reigning king, would be the king that we all need, the one that's going to change our life. That comes out of Psalm 110, verse 1. It says, verse 25, in Acts chapter 2, for David says of him, I saw the Lord, <clears throat> I saw, it says, and David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, and so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will, will I live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to the Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, what's happening is, is he's, he's quoting David, but David is not speaking of himself, because they all know that David died. 
And he's speaking here, he says, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades and allow my body to decay. But they all know David decayed. They all know David died, and David is quoting this, but he's helping them tie in something that was said to something that was done. He's helping them see this this prophecy that was stated hundreds and over a thousand years before this even happened. And helping them realize that it actually happened now. He's helping them see this this solution, this problem that they have. He says, you have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. He says, brethren, Peter now is speaking, verse 29, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with you today, and I'm sure he pointed right to where it was. Because Jerusalem isn't far, and David's tomb is just outside the city walls. He probably pointed. He goes, you know where his tomb is. It's right over there. And they probably all looked, and they're like, oh, I can't see it. Because we all do that, don't we? Because how many of you looked when I pointed this way? You probably did, and you're like, wait a minute. I'm not even in Israel, but I still looked at a wall. It's okay. I look too. And he points. And he says, and so... Because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with the oath to seat one of his, on his throne. And he looked ahead, verse 31, and he spoke to the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, this Jesus, God raised up, to which we all witnessed He says, we all, and he points to all of the the 120 behind them. He says, we all saw. When he says, we all witnessed, you know what he's saying in that? Ask any of us and we'll tell you. We'll tell you the exact same story we all saw. And I'm sure some of you are in here going, maybe you're critical of God. You don't know if God really is real. You're, You're still trying to figure this out. Okay, can God really do this? And I can say there are so many in this room that you can ask. And you can say, how has God shown himself to you? And I can point to people in this room and they can say, I can tell you stories. I can tell you stories how God was faithful to me. And I know some of you in here going, I don't know. Well, Peter, the reason why he turned and he said, and all of us here, he says, these are witnesses, these 119 people behind me, because there's 120. He was the 20th or 120th. He says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy One, he was poured forth <clears throat> this which you, which you both see and hear, for it was not David who ascended into heaven. But he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord. He's helping them tie things together. The Lord said to my Lord. David is putting somebody above him. You, to us, David means nothing. But to this crowd, David meant everything. This is a prophecy that David, this is something that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. To my Lord, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, Peter now is speaking, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And here's where he says it again. This Jesus, whom you crucified. You see, he's taking them on this journey, this emotional journey. I have never sentenced somebody to death.
I've never lied to make somebody else get in trouble over, uh, maybe my brothers and sisters. Yeah, I probably, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have done that. <clears throat> and I know what that makes me feel on the inside. But I've never sentenced an innocent man to death just being caught up in a crowd. And I'm sure many of us, we have had those emotions, maybe not sentencing somebody, maybe not lying, but have you ever had those things, those emotions inside you where it's, it feels like they eat you up every single day of your life? And you don't know if you're going to move past. You don't know if you're going to get better. You don't know if you're going to, if somehow it's going to be forgiven or you're going to be set free from that. We can just be eaten of the guilt and the shame and those, those emotions that can hold us back from living a life that we know we can. And I wonder how many in this crowd experience that this, this, this day. This morning, actually, because it's morning. Jesus, Peter builds this case. They could no longer hide behind a facade of religious acts and fake hallelujahs. Because that's what they're doing on that day. They're going to pretend to be holy. And how many of us, we can pretend to be holy? But inside, it's eating us alive. Can you imagine the heaviness of the crowd in that moment? It's the second time that he says, you. Their sin now is wide open. Their guilt and their shame are showing to everybody. There is no more hiding. We all have to come to that moment. <clears throat> we all have to come to that moment. where We have to really analyze and, and think through what is it that's going on in me. Picture that man in the crowd and the stress he's feeling. And then it says in verse 37, now when they heard this, it says they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter, what shall we do? What shall we do? I wonder which person yelled it. I wonder which person's like, Peter, what do we do? Which one, like, it was the, the bold one? Which one was the one that allowed the, the, what was going on in that moment, what was going on in that situation, what was going on in that message where they finally admitted, okay, I've got to do something because I can't sleep at night. I still see his face. I still see the moment. I can hear myself yell, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And I didn't even care about him. What shall I do? What must I do? And then Peter says in verse 38, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, says, Peter said to them, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of, the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, repent. He understood this more than any of them. You see, he was the disciple Peter understood the idea. He understood the importance of repentance. He understood the importance of realizing the mess you're in. You see, Peter, the day Jesus was before the courts, the day Jesus was before his judges, he was there and somebody said, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter said, no. And then another time somebody said, I know I've seen you before. And he said, no. And then another person asked, they go, but you have an 
accent, just like all of his other followers. And Peter cursed. And I don't know what words he used, but all I know is he said, no again. And then he ran away weeping because he realized what he had done in that moment. And then Jesus dies, and I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that, that pain that you could feel in your heart, not making things right with somebody that now is gone. Peter's in that moment. He's in that moment where he can't make it right. They're gone. And he says, what can I do now? And all of a sudden, Peter, or Jesus, rises from the dead, and there's this moment where Jesus and Peter have together, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And Jesus says, Peter, then, then serve me. And then he again, he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And Jesus says, then serve me. Okay. And then a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Jesus, you know I love you. Says, follow me. Serve me. And in this, each time Peter is able to be forgiven, he's able to repent. He's able to have this change of heart in this crowd. They are so wanting this change of heart. They, they have these feelings. They know they've been distant from God. They know they wanted nothing to do with God, but they know they need something in their soul to solve the problems of the heartache that they have. They know they need something to fix the inside of them, but they don't know how. They don't know what to do. You see, they asked Peter two questions. They said, what does this mean when the tongues start going, when everybody starts talking? What does this mean? And then here, verse 37, they said, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent. Now, when we repent, I believe it does three things according to this passage. The word repent, it means to actually turn around. It means to have a change of mind. So when we repent, it changes your mind. Repentance changes your mind. It changes your thought process. It changes how you think. When you say, okay, God, change my mind. Repentance also, it changes your past. It changes your past. He says there, Peter says, then you will be forgiven. It changes your past. It forgives you of your guilt and shame and all of those things, and it washes you and forgives you. The third thing repentance does is it changes your future. It changes who you're going to be. And, G and Peter says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you to give you power. That's what, that's what happens when we repent, when we say, I want to turn from the way I'm living. You see, some of us, maybe we've only been at the beginning. We're only at the part where we're, maybe we're, we're wanting to change our mind, but we haven't allowed the whole thing to happen. Because repentance changes your lifestyle. It changes what you do. It changes how you live. It changes the things that you thought were okay, and it makes help you realize that it's not okay. It helps you realize that you're a new creation in Christ. Repentance just doesn't make the way you're living okay. Repentance is the way you're living is wrong. You've got to change that. You've got to live different now. You can't keep going down that path. You can't be living that life. You've got to change it. It's uncomfortable. It's not right. It it's not going to feel right. It's going to feel like you're going against everything that's inside you. But that's what happens. Repentance changes you. So Peter, as he's speaking to this crowd, now this crowd is different. You got to understand, this crowd is all Jewish people. They were all there before, before Jesus. Many of them were there in that moment. So it's, it's, but these apply to us repentance. And then he says, and be baptized. Be baptized. Now the reason why he says this, 
He says, you publicly proclaimed crucifixion to Jesus. You all publicly did it. He goes, now I'm gonna challenge you to publicly be baptized. It says on this day, 3,000 people said, I'm in. 3,000 people said, I'm in, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I wanna live this life. I'm done going down this path. I'm done doing this. I wanna live this life. And the only way they could do it is because Jesus filled them and he gave them power to live. And I wanna ask you this morning, as you heard, you saw the video, you heard Katie talk, and I'm gonna challenge you again. If you have not been baptized, why? Why not? You are in disobedience right now if you have not been baptized. I'm gonna tell you right now, and I know you don't want to live that way and you're wondering, God, when am I going to have that breakthrough? God, when is something new going to happen? Well, that is the next step in obedience. I want to challenge you. Do that. Sign up. January 26th, we're doing it right here in the theater. We're going to have a baptismal in here. We're going to celebrate together. That's what it's going to look like. We're going to have it right here. It's going to be right here on the ground, right over here. So we're going to do... You see, in this passage, it says that all of a sudden, all these people make this decision to follow Jesus. You want to know why we have? You want to know why we can live the changed life we live today? You want to know why you could be set free? It's because there are people over 2,000 years ago that said, I want to live this life. Said, I don't care if there's going to be persecution. I don't care if it's going to be hard. I'm going to live this life. Is it because those people made a choice that day? We can make a choice today to say, I want to follow Jesus. And these people had a changed life. It radically changed them, and now they live different, and now we live different. So I want to challenge you. What are you going to do? As that crowd, they said, what does this mean? What does it mean to you? What shall I do? Repent. Say, God, I want to turn my mind I want to change my past and I want to change my future. Say, Jesus, I give up and I want to follow you. Let's see. Thank you for joining us today. For up-to-date series information, find us on social media at CityViewPHX or go to cityviewphx.com.